Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. Before we do get started this week, just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by our partners over at FansBet. Remember, FansBet are committed to sharing 50% of their net profit with fans around the country, helping out with fan initiatives and causes. To see more from them, do head over to the website, fansbet.com, or over to their Twitter page, which is at FansBet. Here's your podcast. It's the weekly on Radio City Talk, the Blue Room, Matt Jones here. Mark Mosey and Paddy Boyland in the studio with me and there's loads to talk about after Everton's 1-1 draw with Tottenham Hotspur over the weekend. Um, how are we doing, lads? All right? Was there loads to talk about? I, I didn't think there was many talking points from this game, but <laughs> we'll, we'll try and eke some out. I mean, I'm um, trying to forget about some yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how am I doing? I was actually quite happy and relaxed before coming in here, but I think when you uh, meet up with some of your Evertonian mates and start dredging up the... The horror story that was this weekend then it all it all very quickly starts boiling the blood again yeah um we were well we you know on the post-match show we did uh we spoke a lot about the incident in the game in regards to var and the actual son who min tackle andre gomez's injury we'll talk about the latter a bit we can share off the var checks i think we've, we've done plenty of that we'll talk about some of the everton players who impressed who didn't impress in the game of the weekend and obviously about that massive match against Southampton but um, the breaking news the news which everybody's been talking about since it was announced on Tuesday is that Son Heung-min's red car from the game at the weekend has been rescinded meaning he'll be free to play again this weekend and uh, Paddy I'll come to you first on it I put on Twitter that it just it just leaves a bit of a bitter taste this for me um, I said on the post-match show I thought it was a reckless tackle um, he didn't see Andre Gomez didn't see it coming and ultimately he's, he's got to share some of the responsibility for this and the fact that this decision's been overturned, it just makes you it does make you a little bit angry, it certainly makes me a little bit angry. Yeah, I think I think 
the first thing to say is there's been a steady momentum developing over the last couple of days in Son Heung-min's defence. We've seen clubs, particularly Spurs, briefing about how nice a guy he is and and all that kind of stuff. So that defence has been readied. They obviously appealed the ban looking to get it overturned. And I think from that point, I was pretty safe in the knowledge that it was likely to be overturned. Whether that's the right decision or not, obviously depends on your viewpoint. And Twitter and, and social media in particular seems particularly split on this. My take immediately after the game on Sunday, having been in the ground and kind of parallel with Son as he made this challenge, is it's still the same now as it was then. I think he he had lost his temper in, in the heat of the moment. I, I think he'd, he was annoyed by a penalty that didn't go his way, mm-hmm. which in my opinion wasn't a penalty. Mm-hmm. Actually, he, he chucked himself. And he was also annoyed that um, an incident involving Andre Gomez, um, believe it or not, um, where Gomez kind of moved across him yeah. with his arm, wasn't penalised with a free kick. So Spurs lose the ball. He goes herring after Alex Awobi. Tries to foul Alex Awobi, let's not forget. Um, but fails because Awobi is just too strong for him. And then the ball comes to, to Gomez on the wing. And I don't think there's I don't think there's a legitimate attempt to win the ball here. In isolation, it doesn't look like a red card offence. It's certainly not something if Gomez had picked himself up and brushed it off, we'd have been screaming and shouting mm. for as a as a red card. But I think what what makes this disappointing for me is that there was no attempt to play the ball. It was out of frustration that the players, I think, and this is just my opinion, has lost his head in the heat of the moment after decisions he perceives have gone against him. So it, it, it's very, very difficult to assess this one. My my thought at this moment in time is that we are probably spending too much time on Son Heung-min, mm. his motives mm. and all those kinds of things. Not that type of player. Not, not, he's not that kind of player defence which you've heard so many times and not just in football by the way it's his second red card in nine games for well, nationality was, the, was yeah. the other one the, the Bournemouth game yeah. I mean done it before. don't tell me he's not that type of player I, I don't need a, a massive catalogue of incidences like this but I think once you've seen the, the things that Paddy's mentioning in terms of a tackle that's fuelled by retaliation. Um, every footballer is that type of player because that sort of ruthlessness is probably what gets you to that point. Um, so th- they've all got that level of competitiveness in them, I would suggest. Yeah, and no, I think we actually, we do Andre Gomez and, and Everton a bit of a disservice here when we focus so much of our attention on Son. Um, a million and one things will mm. be said about him, some of which I agree with. I've, I've just given my opinion there, obviously. Um but we almost kind of lose sight of this is an Everton player that suffered a serious injury. This is an Everton player that we want to see come back onto the pitch quickly. We want to give him our full support. Everton obviously want to give him their mm. full support. Mm. And I think that's the bigger issue here. We almost kind of turn this into Sons being a bit of a martyr. Yeah. Let's focus all our mm. attention on him. No, no, let, let's not do that. Let's let's not lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, first of all, Andre Gomez and how he does. But second of all, how Everton cope. Mm-hmm. At a difficult point in the season when they're struggling for points, having lost what some would say is is Everton's best Mm. midfielder, Um, I I think that's a big hurdle to overcome now. And I I woke up, as as I said on Sunday, I was deflated on Sunday after the game, despite the late goal. I woke up on Monday feeling hungover without the hangover, (laughs) if that makes sense. I was kind of trudging around the the apartment, um, not really 
known what to make of mm. any of this. Um, but it feels as though Everton are in a bit of trouble. It mm. does. You, you you look at the way they played for about 70 minutes. Again, the bigger picture for me, um, away from um, Son and, and what, he's, what he's done and what he, what he stands for as a, as a person. That bigger picture with the amount of points that are on the board, I think we're still only on 11 points, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got a really tough December coming up. And the injuries are starting to stockpile. I mean, even before this, I was thinking to myself, well, as a journalist here, I need to start looking at how players at Everton come back from serious injuries. We've had Bernard, we've had Jean-Philippe mm. Bamin, who's who, who's not long at the club. These, mm. are, these are key players, and yeah. Everton have already had to kind of overcome the Bernard issue. They've yeah. had to restructure the midfield without Bamin. Now they're going to have to do that again. Um, so I think it affords... Certain players an opportunity, certainly Tom Davis, maybe mm. even Gilfie Sigurdsson, Alex Awobi. Um, but it's a it's a headache for for Marco yeah. Silva. And I think, as I say, for me, that's the big takeaway from this week. We need to focus on on kind of what happens next mm. and helping Gomez and helping the team. I think there's, there's another bigger picture in regards to all this, Mark. And I think a, a lot of people will look at that decision in regards to the Son ban being overturned. They will look at the two VAR decisions in regards <coughs> to the penalties that went against Everton at the weekend. They'll look to the one against Brighton that a lot of people are unhappy with. They will look at articles from national newspapers, from local journalists who have called out Richarlison for diving, having, you know, should have got two penalties in the last two matches. And supporters will see everything getting a kick in from all parts, you know, literally and, and metaphorically in some respects. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are calling for a response. And, you know, we, we sort of spoke about this last week on Subscribers Weekly in regards to the Michael Keane incident and how Everton are probably just about big enough as a club and just about small enough as a club to be guinea-picked in regards to all these things. Mm. Is it about time Everton had a little jab back themselves? Uh, yeah, we're a soft target, definitely. Um, but we, we've still got that relatively large level of prestige that people think that having a dig at us will set some form of precedent. Um, certainly some of the decisions that go against us don't seem to set that because we never really see similar incidences or punishments ever again. Um, I'm I'm historically not one that would say that the club need to come out and be vocal about, about certain incidences, particularly ones that are off the field. Um, however, it, it is getting to the point where there's an accumulation of negative press or accusations. Um, the, the Richarlison story that came out today was... I mean, one of the first things you mentioned on the show was was ill taste. Um, I think in terms of timing to bring out an article like this, and don't get me wrong, to bring out this type of article at any point is ridiculous because Richarlison is by no means the only footballer in the Premier League that you could level some of these accusations against. Um, we as Evertonians don't need to look too far away from ourselves to to see some of the, the recent accusations that have been, been held at, at in particular Liverpool players, but... I think it, it's just, you're right in that Everton are consistently that team that all the footballers or the fans, local or national journalists, see as the whipping boys. Um, and it is creeping towards that point where you think that if Everton don't take some form of verbal stance about this sort of situation, then it's consistently going to be the case. And I know that people might only say it's a bit of press, it's an article choose not to read it if you're offended by it but this this quickly escalates into the situations whereby Umani gets banned for retrospective diving or Michael Keane does get punished by a, a one-of-a-kind VAR decision that we will probably never see the likes of again mm. and I know that people find it hard to relate those two instances but 
you very quickly paint a picture of a football club as one that will not really have any form of retaliation or, or any form of say about anything negative that happens against them. And that qu- quickly materialises into on-the-pitch incidences which are massively harming Everton at the moment. I think they can be a bit of an easy target and part of that is because they're not the kind of club to kick up a fuss. That That's for better and for worse, by the way. Sometimes I don't want them to kick yeah, up a yeah. fuss. But I think as well we're in this curious position where Everton are seeing, as an entity, they're seeing as being big enough to make an example of without being so big that they get the kind of the, the pushback from a Jurgen mm-hmm. Klopp or a Pep Guardiola, if if you kind of get what I mean there. Um, and that's why I think things like the Umanias example happen, that that situation, because Everton are just right in the middle there and they're able to take a swipe at and without mm. much kind of repercussion. Um, so from that point of view, I think we are in a difficult place. Um, as, as for Richarlison, I, I find it a bit weird that what we're saying here is he sh- almost that he shouldn't get decisions because he makes the most of whatever contact he does get when week after week I look at match of the day and I've seen pundits saying stuff like, well, he has to go down in that situation under contact because otherwise he wouldn't yeah. get a penalty. And we're not just, actually, we're not just talking about small bits of contact. I mean, Richarlison the other week against West Brom, as far as I'm aware, he was kind of body checked by Issa Diop on the yeah. halfway line with an elbow going across his face. Really bad tackle for me, no, no intention of winning the ball. And that doesn't just happen as a one-off sporadic occasion. For me, mm. most times he takes to the field, he gets that sort of treatment. And when articles like this come out and when referees make the decisions they have done over the past weeks, it kind of validates that. And it, we get to the point where Richarlison gets almost seen as kind of a modern-day Andy Johnson. Yeah. Where whatever happens, it's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. Um, f- for me, and maybe this is blue-tinted spectacles, but the Brighton incident where he's hauled down in the box is a clear penalty. I, I, th- I think there's something wrong if that's not given and the Michael Keane one is. Mm. The priorities are wrong there. But I think the one at the weekend against Spurs is a penalty as well. Davinson Sanchez is nowhere near the ball and it's a rash tackle. So blaming Richarlison for those incidents not going in his favour seems a bit askew. I mean, we, we shouldn't be thinking about whether he goes down a bit easily every now and then. You look at the incident on a case-by-case basis. Mm. Is there enough contact? Is it enough for the player to go to ground? In both cases, yes. So you probably give the penalty. I mean, Everton were, were obviously harshly treated by VAR. We, You don't want to always make a, a massive deal of this because I think sometimes it, it comes back on you. And there is a fascination with public displays, mm. statements, managers lashing out. Mm. But I think this could just as easily be done uh, in a meeting, behind closed doors, with officials, mm. with the Premier League. Look, we're a bit unhappy here at what's what's taking place. We feel that in case X, Y and Z, Richarlison's not getting the rub of the green. And here's why. Here are the incidents. Mm. And David Moyes did something. Pretty similar, if you remember, with Andy Johnson. Johnson yeah. I think he compiled a video with the video team of maybe eight pen- uh, yeah. ten penalties. You get a feature length film out of Richarlison's at the moment. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you would. We're not, we're not that far away. Three-hour three blockbuster of Richarlison <laughs> penalty appeals. I know, I know what you're saying, though, Paddy, about the behind-closed-doors thing. And, you know, I think that's ultimately the way Everton will look to do it. But I, I'm not saying Marcus Silva needs to come out of his next press conference and say... 
Mike Riley and the referees and all the idiots he didn't know what to do and all that sort of thing. But I think a little bit of resistance would at least help. It would show the fans that the club aren't happy with this and are just sitting back and taking these decisions that are going against us. And I think at a time where we could all do with a bit of togetherness mm. and a bit of gravitating towards a similar goal, just saying something like, we're not happy with the, with the, the Son um, red card getting appealed, we're not happy with Richardson getting pulled down in the box every week and, and penalties not being given. I think it would just give everyone a bit of a, a sense to togetherness. I, mean, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that a few words in public would be an easy win for everybody. It, it would be as far as a relationship with the fans goes. Hmm. If, you, if you're looking to, to kind of quite easily tap into fears and, and kind of thoughts among the fan base, then yes, go ahead and do that kind of thing. But I mean, I, I obviously in my job, hmm. spend a lot of time in press conferences listening to what Marco Silva has to say, stuff that other people don't see. And after Brighton, he was pretty vocal saying that People didn't understand the system and how it was working. Uh, at the weekend, he came out and said much the same with regards to certain incidents. He, he is being critical. He's just not a fire and brimstone manager that's mm. going to ram, rampage around getting angry. People at Everton do get angry. I've seen people at Everton get angry over this. Mm. But Marco Silva's not that guy. Mm. Just in the same way as we don't often see him leaping out of the dug- dugout ranting and raving at officials or <coughs> punching the air in celebration at goals. He does do it sometimes, mm. but we have to we have to kind of understand that he's a relatively low-key guy. That's an easy win. Saying those things in a more vocal way to the fan base, does it actually change anything with the Premier League? I'm not entirely sure, which is why I'm saying that there are other ways to do this. You might even take a two-pronged approach and do both of them mm. if, if you want to kind of cover all bases. What we can all accept here, and I think this is this is pretty obvious, and I don't think there's a there's an Everton bias here. Everton have been unlucky with decisions past two mm. games. I think the the one against Brighton was a momentum changer, even if Everton didn't handle the aftermath well at all. Mm. And I think the one against Spurs or the ones against Spurs um, made things very very difficult. I mean, in, in different circumstances, you might be looking at a three or four points turnaround in Everton's favour here and all of a sudden mm-hmm. Everton are in the mid-table and everyone's kind of feeling a little bit better those decisions haven't gone Everton's way um, and I think all we can say is that something probably does need to change soon That will be my point on Silver is that <clears throat> I think we can all appreciate that he is not that sort of wears his heart on his sleeve type of manager um, and I would very much agree with you Paddy in that I think that the two-pronged approach of him saying something in a relatively informal but sensible manner to the Premier League but also having that and I hesitate to use the word battle cry because we hear this from Everton far too much in terms of all talk and no action but I I think it is we're we're effectively letting other people do our mind games for us at the moment in terms of national press and as much as we don't want to be that sort of club who tries to manipulate games before we even make the journey to a stadium I think it's important that we are seen as as competitive as or as as ruthless as other teams are in the league i think you could you could point at at least 16 or 17 other teams in this league who you would have heard some form of outcry from on the back of the sort of luck that Everton have had well Palace have weeks. done it with Zahar and, and you know he got labelled a diver didn't he effectively and, and they came you, out and said he's got a lot now isn't he you've yeah. never heard anything else about yeah. it since yeah, yeah. Um, from a Marco Silva specific point of view I would say that if ever there was a time to change that mentality and be a little bit more vocal than it is now because Paddy's referencing a, a sort of four to six point swing that is 
potentially going to be the difference in him keeping his job or not. I mean, if we were to have lost that game at the weekend, we were we were genuinely talking about is that the last time we'll see a Marco Silver Everton side? And I think if if you're not going to be aggressive and you're not going to be as on the front foot as he should be at the moment, then when when will we ever see that in him? And as much as we don't want to see him kind of ditch all of his characteristics and his personality mm. and we like that level of reservedness that he offers and that that level of professionalism I think it's about time that Everton started standing up for themselves as a club and we don't necessarily need it to be him to be the one who stands on the podium outside the Dixie Dean statue and makes this massive announcement to national media mm. it can just be a club statement detailing how unhappy we are about how this has been in recent weeks and we're not we're not expecting the Premier League to come out with their hands held up outside the FA headquarters and say sorry it's not going to happen but if that is instilled into the minds of one official at the weekend that I'm at the point now where I'll take it if, if we can get that a marginal gain out of anyone and this is not how modern day football should be but it's how it is if we can if we can manipulate a situation and I hate talking like that because essentially we this is all going to come back to one horrific incident at the weekend and I'm in no way downplaying that but I think it's about time that Everton starts playing the game that every single other Premier League team will play but we as the people's club are seemingly afraid of taking that leap Yeah and I think the other side of the coin here is that I mean for once I wasn't in the press box on Sunday I was there as a fan in the in the lower Gladys and there was such outrage at some of the decisions that are taking place. I mean, it, it, was, it was the kind of, for want of a better phrase, it was the air of revolution mm. around the stadium because of just how angry things had got. There were boos for Martin Atkinson at half-time. There were boos for Martin Atkinson at full-time. And maybe the response of full-time was mitigated a bit by the fact that Everton, yeah. by themselves, had got back into the game. Mm. But that doesn't... We shouldn't then neglect what we've heard before that point a lot of anger a lot of disenfranchisement with VAR and obviously there was the song about VAR that, that we can't repeat during a live radio <laughs> show but um, that was the first time I'd heard that personally uh, and that kind of goes to show that kind of Everton fans are now not trusting the officials they're not trusting the processes and we have said time and time again that the VAR implementation is not where it should be at the moment. Actually, the, there's talk of the Premier League sitting down and meeting about this yeah. and looking to iron out a new way forward. The proposals, which include managers getting three reviews, mm. for me, are not going to solve the problem in the slightest. In fact, what you would get is, if I've got two reviews and I've... I, my side is winning one nil after ninety two minutes. I'm just going to review something silly. <laughs> yeah, you, you are. Yeah, you, you're going to be cynical. Yeah. It's yeah. going to lead mm. to even more cynical mm. reactions. And Mark's right that there is an element of cynicism about the way clubs deal with with officiating as a whole. Everton don't quite go down that route. Mm. That's a good thing sometimes, but at times it it, it does mean mm. that you you're left short. Yeah, um, we will talk about some actual football in part two here on the Blue Room. I, I promise. Uh, we'll be right back shortly. We are back on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Matt, Mark and Paddy still in the studio. And as promised, we are going to talk about some actual football now. It feels like ages ago since we did that. Um, but amongst the 
the shock and the, the chaos and the anger, you'd have to say, Mark, there were some decent Everton performances in a you know a pretty overall poor team performance. And probably the one most encouraging with Andre Gomez's absence in mind is, is Tom Davis, who has mm-hmm. come back into the side, come back into the side cold against West Ham and played very well. Um, I think we said last week, Paddy, on one of our shows, that he was, you know, one of the few that stuck their head above the, the parapet at Brighton and played okay, and um, was really good again at the weekend. And you know, for all Tottenham's issues, you look at their midfield: it's Sissoko, you know, great runner, energetic, mm-hmm. and Dombele technically very good, and has got those physical gifts as well. Eriksson dropping in there, um, I think it's testament to Tom that he managed to hold his own against those sorts of players. Yeah, I think the, the emphasis of this game was. Always going to be in the centre of midfield, um, and that was further amplified when we saw the Everton starting lineup um, and the the accommodation that Silver had made in terms of his setup for for how strong Spurs were going to be in that area. I think when you when you're coming off the back of such a such a bad incident, uh, be it an injury or a suspension or whatever it may be, that means that you're going to be without a star player for for the foreseeable future. You're looking for someone in the immediate aftermath to stand up and be counted. Um, luckily we've seen someone do that in the very same game that that incident occurred I think if you were to see the same Tom Davis for the rest of the season that we saw at the weekend you'd be incredibly pleased with what you were getting out of him Mm. Um, as much as you don't want to rely on a situation like this to to push someone into a potential situation for them to excel it is ultimately the source of all opportunity when you get a situation like Mm. this Um, Paddy spoke earlier about the the, the type of players that are going to come in I think you could probably to an extent you could further extend that into the youth side and, and you're potentially looking at someone like Anthony Gordon coming into the first team fold um, but in the immediate future you're looking at Tom Davis and Fabian Delft to an extent standing up and being that man to do all of the things that Gomez is so good at which is a difficult task because you could probably label every attribute as a footballer as being the things that Andre Gomez is good at but I think what we saw from Davis at the weekend was a maturity in terms of carrying the ball, um, a bravery in terms of passing the ball forward. Um, the, the the incisive through ball that we saw played inside the left fullback and into Theo Walcott was probably one of the greatest passes I've ever seen at Goodison <laughs> Park. Um, we don't see those kind of passes at Goodison Park that much, do we? No, exactly. No. exactly. Um, ironically, we saw one from Andre Gomez in the first half in where... I could count on one hand in the 25 years of following this club the amount of times we've played a slide rule through ball that split a full back and a centre half or two centre halves into who it was Richarlison at the time and I think Tom Davis has certainly got the intelligence to play those types of passes Um, what he sometimes lacked is the confidence and the opportunity Um, the latter he's got plenty of now Um, it's the confidence was always going to come with a sustained run of games. We've seen that on occasion where he has had six or seven games in a row and he's had the chance to get an appreciation of what it takes to benefit this football club. And I think in the main part, that is doing the simple things well. We've spoken about him having his opportunity to make an impact and try and drive himself into the starting lineup. He is very much a player who gets a sparing hour or 90 minutes or potentially even a half at times. And he's given a short spell of time to impress and potentially oust someone yeah. like Delph Snydland, whoever it may be, into a starting role. And it's going to be incredibly difficult because in the main part, the opportunities that he is given is in the Carabao Cup or it's in a potentially failing side, previously in Europe. And 
he's very much seen as a stopgap for certain games. Mm. I don't necessarily think he's been given the opportunity in the league unless it's been forced upon us by situations like this. So well, there's never a situation in the past where you looked at and gone. No. No, we should get Davis. Whether you're chasing the game or trying to see it out, you never, you never really thought when Davis is on the bench, we need to get Davis on here that, to, that, to do this. That's essentially the problem with him as yeah. a footballer, isn't it? But um, it's it's a very important time for him in his career. Um, we've spoken multiple times about the make or break nature of his tenure at Everton, and he needs to very quickly identify himself as what he will bring to this team. Marco Silva needs to very quickly identify where we go from here. Um, I. Personally, as as much as I saw sense with it at the weekend, everything about the setup and and the fact that we were so affording of possession to Tottenham in particular in the first half, I don't necessarily think that the four three three setup is one that is one that particularly suited us. Uh, you look at the personnel in the midfield and and Tom Davis in particular. He is worryingly on the back of that statement. He is someone who I think would would perfectly suit a four three three, playing a bit of a flatter midfield centre, not necessarily playing that number ten role. I think he he can very quickly go a little bit headless chicken if you if you ask him to to be more advanced than you should. But I think we we saw some very encouraging signs from him. Um, I, I want him to be that brave player of of the three in midfield and whoever that is going to be. If you've got one who's going to be a little bit more adventurous, he is certainly that player. Um, but it's combining that with a level of maturity that doesn't see him go too far yeah. and try and do too much. We've seen a little bit of that in the past, but I think Sunday was a was a perfect example of what we want to see from him for the next few months. I think there have been a few issues with Tom Davis, and we've touched on some of them before. The first is that certain managers have not really known what to make of him positionally. Because he's not a creator in the David Silver sense of the mm. word. Mm. But he's not really a defensive midfielder, a ball winner that's going to produce the numbers that Tayan Adrissa does. Mm. So when you've got a system like a 4 2 3 1, a box to box player like him mm. sort of kind of goes missing a little bit and, and falls out of the, the equation. We have to acknowledge that that's the system that Silver, Silver has, yeah. has played yeah. for just about all of his tenure at Goodison. And Tom Davis has been one of the ones that have suffered. But this isn't just about Silver. Um, I saw games that he played under Koeman and under Allardyce where effectively, as far as I could see, the instruction was just go and go out on the pitch and run around yes. and make yourself busy. And I think with a young player, that's the time when they need coaching, they need lots of tactical instruction, they need the role simplified in a manner so they know exactly what they're doing on the football pitch and I don't think he's always had that he's been one of the main fall guys I think of the consistent turnaround in in managers and Mm -hmm. consistent turnarounds then by proxy and style the other thing with him is that his base level or his his, his lowest performances his worst performances are worse than an Idrissa Gay or than an Andre Gomez because he's always trying things and when those things don't come off and you you, you attempt 10 expansive forward mm. passes during mm. a game and they don't come off, then it looks like you're just surrendering possession all the time. Yep. And I think that there kind of that also needs to be added into the equation. Last couple of games for me, he's, he's been very, very good. I think he will benefit from a run of games. He is likely now to get mm. a, a, a run of games. Um, that being said, I'm not entirely sure the setup against Spurs worked. And I'm not 
sure as well that we're defining it properly because I've seen a lot of people say that this was an expansive 4-3-3. I thought it was a pretty negative 4-5-1, sometimes with Fabian Delft dropping in. In a 4-3-3, you normally have two number eights, shuttle them forward. Mm. I, I, I think Everton probably only had one, and the wingers certainly weren't pushed on to take advantage of space in between the fullbacks. But well, Walcott they, was just going back with Davis the entire mm. time in the first half, wasn't he? They were having to. Yeah. They were they were tracking runners. Uh, if anything, I think Everton should have, should have been a bit more expansive. Mm. And if you play four three three, you probably say to a Richarlison and a Theo Walcott, look, our midfielders and fullbacks are going to cover those runs forward. We want you to be there for when that ball does break down. You're then able to go and you're able to preserve your energy conserve that energy mm-hmm. for explosive bursts. Yeah. When you've got Walcott and Richarlison going back all the time, they're not going to be able to then beat three or four players mm-hmm. and put one into the top corner at the other end. So there were, there were a load of problems there within the setup. I, d- I don't think it was as, as expansive as some people are saying. 4-3-3 can actually be quite negative yeah. at times, certainly 4-5-1, mm-hmm. as we saw on, on Sunday was. The only other thing there is that I thought Everton were competent in the main for 90% of the game defensively. I think if you look at XG, mm. Tottenham were about 0.16. Yeah. Mm. They only had one real chance, and that was the one they scored off, uh, which was a good finish by Deli Ali. all mm. things considered, after a mistake from Everton. So maybe they are starting to shore up in, um, in regular play, away from things like set pieces and mm. stuff. But I think we do need to see more of an expansive side going the other way. I hope that's what comes to the fore. Davis is part of that because, as I say, I think particularly with Gomez not being around, he's probably the one you look to in that midfield to say, mm. go and release that ball early into yeah. Alex Awobi, go and release that ball early into Richarlison. So, I mean, he's going to carry quite a burden over the coming months. We're going to have to start including VAR in XG figures, I think, just to, uh, <laughs> just to balance it out. Um, the, the thing that irked me about the formation at the weekend was, uh, I, we said in the post-match that Everton's defensive work has so often originated up top. Um, we occupy opposition's centre-halves, we occupy their deepest line midfielder, uh, primarily through be it Gilfie Sigurdsson or, or Alex Iwobi, both both notorious in terms of the, the amount of running that they are willing to do from a defensive point of view. And I think that's what that's what we missed. And, and we allowed Tottenham to embed themselves into a game which, going off form and confidence, they had absolutely no right to. Um, in terms of Davis, he's very much a, a risk versus reward style of player. Um, you, you want someone like that to be ambitious on the ball, but... What we can't have and and what we need from everyone now, regardless of your opinion on Davis and his position at the club, is patience and trust. I think we need patience from fellow professionals. We need patience in particular from fans um, and an appreciation of of the role and the size of the, the job that we're asking Tom Davis to do. And in terms of trust, we need that from the manager. Uh, I think the the main issue or the, the main story that I've got from seeing this relationship from, from Silver and Davis. And I, I know that the Burnley game around about Christmas last year is the one that people often point to him. I think Andre Gomez was in a, a particularly bad physical condition on that day as well, but he still got the nod ahead of a young kid who the manager clearly didn't have the faith to throw into a top flight situation. Mm. Um, I, I do think that that relationship, and I'm not necessarily pointing towards a bust up here but there's definitely a 
a sense that Marco Silva really hasn't got that level of trust to go and throw Davis into any Premier League situation. And as much as it's born out of a terrible situation, Marco Silva now has no option but to to show that level of faith in Davis. Um, it's up to Tom Davis to take that that opportunity now. Um, it, it's it's an incredibly difficult task, and it, it's going to need it's going to need all of that midfield to step up. I think the one as much as we talk about Davis and his pivotal role going forward, the one element of disappointment I had at the weekend was I didn't necess- necessarily see before or after the injury in terms of the way that Everton played the the calm and level-headed approach that I would expect from someone like Fabian Delph. Mm. I expected someone to play a lot more keep ball to be the one who settled the game when it needed it and also to push and drive the team forward and for someone like Delph I, I, we talk about styles of midfielders I personally don't see Delph as that sort of defensive ball winner I think he's a little bit more box to box than what people give him credit I'm for I'm not totally sure he's, he's massively box to box though he's not, he's, he's not the kind of guy that I would expect to get on the end of crosses and and thing, so he goes, like that. he goes box possibly, the halfway line. It's like possibly half, not in that sense, that, yeah. 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 But I've, we've seen him at Aston Villa and not so much at Man City drive forward with the ball and take far more opportunities to goal like someone like Andre Gomez would. Um, you could count on one hand the amount of times that you've seen someone like Gomez do that. I think Delph has that in him. I know I'm going back a long time to Aston Villa, but I think he's got that in him to be a little bit more offensive. And take the game a little bit more by the scuff of the neck um, it, it may not be the role that Silva's asking him to do but I think that the game was screaming out for someone to to do that for Everton in the middle I think it was all a little bit passive in the middle of the park mm. um, longer term I think that that will, that will be what Davis's role is um, albeit as Paddy said it needs a little bit more direction this is a lad who needs to know what his role is on the pitch and that's up to Silver and Davis to work very hard between each other over the next few months just on Delph quickly he was hobbling at the end of the game as well he, I think oh, he's one of the top counter attacks it looked like he'd done something which I think it was Conor O'Neill who pulled it up on our subscribers weekly show yesterday so mm. could be one to, to keep an eye on ahead of the weekend as well Michael Keane central defensive midfield yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're not they're not getting the look, are they, at all, Everton at the moment? But I, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of how this works moving forward. Certainly, unless Morgan Schneiderlin comes back into the picture, Fabian Delphi is going to have to be the one yeah. that plays in that role in front of the back four. So it's then his duty, not only from a de- defensive standing to snuff out attacks but also to be the one that takes the ball off the defence and look to start attacks mm. going the other way I didn't see much of that I, I mean we had three midfielders in there but I didn't really see anybody looking to control play a lot of it was kind of funneled down the flanks and a lot of it was kind of balls into the channel for Richarlison to chase <clears throat> so I think that that does need work work on um, and kind of how they shape the midfield now moving forward is, is quite an interesting one because Mark's mentioned other figures there that that might get a look in. I mean, plays in a completely different position, but Anthony Gordon has been kind of nineteenth, mm. twentieth man in a few squads this season. And, mm. and what I mean by that is, you've got a party of twenty that usually travel two games. You obviously pick eleven players and seven subs. Nineteenth and twentieth are there in case something happens, but mm. also in with a shout of featuring. Mm. And they'll be part of team briefings, they'll be part of tactical meetings, all that kind of stuff. So just by 
default and the amount of injuries Everton have had, it wouldn't be a surprise to see a Benny Benigni yeah. or an Anthony Gordon start to get into the squad. We, we haven't got that yeah. many numbers now if, you, if you're looking for outside solutions. Just just on that as well, the, the big worry for me in regards to that is I think if you play in games every Saturday or every Sunday, you can probably look at Delph, Schneidlin and Davis and think, you know, we can get by for a bit here. But with the Christmas period coming up, mm. you've got Delph, who has already had two or three injury issues since he's been at the club. Might have another one coming up, based on the way he was horrible at the weekend. Mm. Morgan Snyland's been riddled by injuries since he's come to the football club as well. And you've got Tom Davis, who, while he's playing well at the moment, like you said there, Mark, is a player that the manager clearly has trust issues with. And you're going into a, a, a period where we're not only playing hard games, but we're playing loads of games as well. Mm. And you're going to be asking for players who have shown that they break down physically to do a lot of physical work. I'm going to put a lot of toll on, on those players, which is a worry. And, and just on the system very quickly, I think to me it looked as though it was a system that they'd only been able to work on for... So we played on Tuesday nights in the Cup, didn't we? We had four days to work on it, and it looked as though it was worked on with defending in mind. It, it didn't appear to be that they, they'd put the system together and think we're going to use this as an attacking blueprint. It felt mm. as though they were being in Finch Farm those four days and all they've been doing was shape, shape, shape mm. for those four days because probably first of all you know the team's not playing particularly well and confidence is low and second of all he would have had that 6-2 in the back of his mind last year and thinking I can't let that happen again mm. and I'm, I'm not I don't want to like you said Paddy it wasn't a 4-3-3 I don't think it was a 4-3-3 either I wouldn't mind seeing that again but I don't think we should be expecting a change in system to all of a sudden bear fruit where Defence was clearly in mind, and it was the first time a lot of these lads had played it for a long, long time. I mean, it, it was the first time a lot of those lads had, had played it for a long time, you're right. It is something that he's been working on in training for quite a while, although I'm prepared to accept that there was the Watford game that kind of muddied the waters. Obviously, a few teething issues there in terms of what people do positionally. If one goes, the other one stays, mm. or the two go, or all that kind of stuff. But I think what this is showing me that this run of fixtures and the profile of our midfielders there's only really Davis that looks to push on and even then you wouldn't class him as a goal scoring midfielder mm. from a 4-3-3 you're looking for a couple of guys to get you 7-8 to eight goals and I wouldn't mm. say that Everton have got any of those kind of midfielders you look back to the summer and the failed pursuit of Abdullahi Ducore <laughs> and you understand that yeah. rationale now more than ever He's the kind of guy that would have brought that pace, energy and drive to the midfield. He is also a goal threat and he, he can create chances as well. And I still think Everton are in need of that play because even if you get Bamin back in front of the back four, even if Andre Gomez makes a full recovery, we're still short of goal scorers. We're still short of a bit of pace in there. Mm. I mean, if you line up a midfielder, <coughs> quite feasible that Everton could line up of a midfield of Delph, Davis and Sigurdsson or Schneidlin, Delph and Sigurdsson at some point. There's no pace in that whatsoever. Mm. And this is at a time when I think pace and fast transitions are valued more than ever before in the Premier League if you look at the tactical tendencies. So lots to think about um, and lots to think about with January in mind really because I think Everton are going to have to dip into the market. Yeah, um, obviously we've got Southampton at the weekend, which is a huge game for the team and Marco Silva. After the break, we'll have a chat about that here on Radio City Talk. Final part of the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Paddy and Mark still in the studio with me. Everton have got Southampton at the weekend. It's a Premier League game. It's on the South Coast. Everton haven't done particularly well <laughs> in that part of the country mm. over the past few months or even years or so. Paddy, tell me why it's going to be different on Saturday. 
Do I have to come up with a reason for an Everton win, do I? <laughs> yes. Wow, all right. Uh, I mean, it's I mean, not. South have conceded nine goals in the last home you game. Put me, I think that means Everton are less likely to win the game. Okay. I think that's. What was, is that not what happens with Everton <laughs> over, over history? I immediately looked at the, the fixture list after that. We've all like, been doing this. Who are they playing next? <laughs> just, just as an aside, I was talking about this with Connie yesterday on the before the Subs Weekly show. And it's almost like being battered in that one game has galvanised them a little bit. Yeah. Do you think we've maybe needed. Because we've not been like annihilated in any game. We haven't had that moment. It's like, right, we all get together now. We just ambled along. And if we've been beaten by somebody 5 0 earlier in the season, do you think we may be being oh, a better we team? Are, we are a weird bunch. Are you calling for a Danny Ings hat trick? Yeah. Do you know what? No, not, not we're, we're someone who battered us. I feel like he, he did it earlier. In the, like, if, if City had scored six against us, it could have been. We could have had that rallying together moment. But it's not. we haven't really had to. Because we've all just, we've been looked like mm. pretty bad, but not like, oh my God, this is absolutely horrendous bad in any game. Yeah, I'm just trying, I'm trying to think if I mean we are through the looking glass a bit here. Like but as, as a football club, we, we take to, we take everything so much to heart that you feel like really negative performances like the one that Southampton had to an extent will will bounce off everyone because th- there will be that sort of rallying cry. It would have just been like a war zone around L4 <laughs> if we were to do it at, at Goodison Park. I don't necessarily think we've got the the level of resilience yeah. we care too much to see our own hurt in that way yeah. so I personally am, yeah. I'm happy not to get wellied ne- by anyone next, <laughs> next week on the Blue Room will be, will, is relegation good for Everton <laughs> yeah. this season uh, but no it, it, in, all, in all serious Paddy um, it is huge for Marco Silva because everything could be in the bottom three if they lose this game we'll all be you know, moaning on social media, moaning on here next week, and there's a big long international break, break where mm-hmm. Farah Mashiri and Marcel Brands and Bill Kenwright and whoever else is making decisions at the football club may think it might be a nice time to make a change. Yeah. So, given everything you've said there, he, he does need to pull out some kind of results. And looking at the table, yeah, they're they're not doing well on the table. It's it's a tough one because maybe something like the Gomez incident perversely will have that rallying effect. I think it might mm-hmm. mean that supporters are a little bit more accommodating and accepting, a little bit more supportive, dare I say it. Um, and um, the club and the players might kind of bandy together and, and kind of think, well, we need to do this now. We need to make a statement. It's, it's now our time. Kind of backs against the wall. And Everton usually are best when backs are against the wall, you look at the Moyes sides. Mm-hmm. You also look at last season after the Millwall game. That moment where you think Everton have reached their lowest ebb is normally when they come back and they come back fighting. So, got to hope they do the same again. Um, whether they can do that is another issue, um, but obviously it's not a good Southampton side, um, and we need to we need to bear that in mind. Everton still have players in the attacking area. I'd, I'd like to see more from. Richarlison, and I think that means we need to service those strikers more. It's a pretty thankless task mm. playing off from Everton at the moment. I mean, if you're Richarlison and you're chasing ball down the balls down the flanks against Alderweire, Alden, Davison, Sanchez, mm. who then proceed to kick you up and up in the air for ninety minutes. I remember watching the media take a punt at you. Yeah, <laughs> then, then then you've not got much going for you. So yeah. I, I think there needs to be there needs to be more creativity. There needs to be more forward thrust. Uh, and we need to start kind of getting the most and, and creating conditions to get the most out of some of our best attacking players. I like Alex Awobi, for example, and I think on the whole, he's had a pretty promising start to his time at Everton. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of a victim, I felt, of the tweaking system 
at the weekend. Moving out to the left, it was almost like he had to kind of readapt to that position. Was off the pace a bit. Obviously, gave helped give the goal away. Um, so there needs to be that, but there also needs to be more solidity at the back, and they need to to, to come out fighting in in that area. I've been pretty pleased in the main with what I've seen from Holgate and Mina. As a, I mean, it's, it's a very small sample size, but what I've seen from mm-hmm. them individually and also as a partnership at the weekend. Holgate relatively poor for the goal um, in terms of his body position and stuff like that, but. It wasn't his error in the first place, and for the rest of the game, he looked composed and assured, and is trying things on the ball that the other mm. defenders aren't. He adds balance, obviously. Yeri Mean has been Everton's best player for me so far this season. Um, even on one leg, he was the one that supplied <laughs> the um, diagonal pass yeah. for Luca Dean, which is a very well worked goal, by the way. <laughs> Everybody mm. seems to have missed this. Yeah. Diagonal ball to Luca Dean, a fantastic <laughs> piece of technique from Luca Dean, and a great header from Jenk Tosin. Places are up for grabs, and even mm. if you look at like Holgate and Davis and a few of these guys, when things are so bad, it's almost like you look for those solutions. Mm. And there's another one up front with Jenk Tosin. Any Everton forward that can start to put a sustained run of goals together, two and two, three and three, yeah. four and four, yeah. becomes a very serious proposition because we've not mm. had that now for, for quite a long period of time. So Tosin will be looking at this now and thinking, I, I'm only a couple of goals away here from being Everton's main mm. main striker. If he's not already at the weekend um, opportunity begs and obviously that's a that's a positive and that's the positive way to look at the unfortunate circumstances surrounding what's happened recently I think the, the firing from the hip tendency of, of us in terms of picking our personnel for, for weekend games means that it wouldn't necessarily surprise you on the back of a, a solid 17 minute cameo if Cheng Tosin was the man to lead the line at the weekend um, you've just reminded me of Yerry Mina's flailing limbs run over to Gibral Sidibe to get a to get a throw in late on in the game at the weekend <laughs> and I think for a guy who was clearly very injured uh, I think it's testament to how he's he's he seems to take everything personal on the pitch. He is he is very quickly becoming Mister Everton for those ninety minutes. Um, clearly, a, a massive part of everything that we're doing at the moment. And I think the challenge with him is certainly just keeping him on the pitch for as long as possible. Um, it's a massive, massive game at the weekend. Um, we, we've spoken so much recently about barometer football and how certain certain clubs have certain games whereby it's so important that they prove their worth regardless of what end of the table that they're at um matt me and you watched leicester away at crystal palace yeah. at the weekend um prior to our game and i think it was there as well maybe. sorry it was yeah 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 you made, <laughs> made a massive impact there Pat, sorry. Uh, but, well, <laughs> we, <laughs> we spoke about you just like Paddy just lurks in the shadows <laughs> in the pub that's, that's that's all yeah <laughs> we spoke about how how important that was for them to 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 build on everything positive that they'd done and, and prove that they were the team that people speculate that they could become. Um, it's very much a certain a, a different set of circumstances for Everton this weekend in that this is the one game where everyone expects the the bad form to turn around, um, primarily on the back of what Leicester did to Southampton. But this is this is probably the first time going into a league game for me that I've thought. The manager's in real trouble if if we get beat. Uh, I know that people have mentioned that over over recent months and and probably through their own wishes of wanting to see the back of him. But for someone like me who is 
eternally optimistic in terms of trying to give Marco Silva an opportunity to to turn this around. I do think that this could be a stretch too far if we were to. I mean, we've had some horrific South Coast performances and notoriously at Southampton in recent years, but. I think if we were to replicate any one of those at the weekend, then it, it's probably at the point whereby the decision is, is very much made for, for Farhad Mashiri and Bill Kemrice. Um I don't think it's any coincidence that they've been apparent and, and very much at the forefront of, of the director's box of most recent games. Um, I think the questions will, will clearly be asked. Um, they strike me as, as two individuals, and, and Kemrice in particular, who will afford all opportunity to any current manager to to prove himself but it does feel as though a defeat a, a, a very poor Southampton side would probably be a step too far um, I think Everton needs to play to the strengths we're, we're clearly low on numbers and the area of the pitch that we've got quality and abundance in terms of in terms of quantity of players is up top um, I think that will force Silver's hand to play a Wobie, Richarlison, Walcott, Tosin whoever it may be and probably Eight forwards for, yeah, but yeah <laughs> Thiago Moss's 272 yeah um, ju- just to try and force the issue a little bit can I just say that I'm absolutely sick of the south coast of England? It's a lovely place as well, which is disappointing. Yeah. It's a lovely part of the world. And I had a fantastic Sunday, the day after the Brighton game, but I just can't get over how many times Everton lose in that part of the world. And just how often, despite the weather being much better, it just tends to absolutely bucket down while I'm there. <laughs> I was walking along Brighton Beach on the way back from the, from the game last Saturday, Everton had lost. Obviously, the circumstances surrounding that meant journalists were scrambling to rewrite pieces that they'd already written, so that's an added um, kind of annoyance for me. And then I walked along Brighton Pier, and the rain is coming in, and the wind is driving it into my face, and I just thought, this is one of the worst days I've had in a long time. I just feel, I feel as though the footballing world, and certainly the karma... Karma owes me an awful lot <laughs> this weekend, and if if I get what I deserve and Everton get what they deserve, then it should be an emphatic five nil Everton yeah. victory. Yeah. <laughs> Ten nils to the toffees, that'll do. Yeah, uh, fine. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed. It is a better day for Paddy and for all of us on Saturday <laughs> uh, when Everton go to Southampton. Uh, that's the end of this week's show. Cheers to Mark. Cheers to Paddy. We'll be back again same time next week here on Radio City Talk. The dark web can be like a restaurant for identity thieves. Hi, ready to order? I'll have the driver's license number. Great, that comes with a home address or a birth date. Ooh, both, please. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.